0: but there's a lot of people who have like an okay sound and they put their logo up and they start trying to get everyone to play it and repost it and they put download gates on everything. And it's like, dude, just chill out for like a few years and figure out what you're gonna fucking do and then go and do all that.
1: This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. That is edmfoundations.com. You know that feeling when you come across an artist, uh, you listen to their music, and you're just blown away by the fact that they don't have a bigger following? I had that feeling when Mr. Bill introduced me to Frequent. Uh, he's a Colorado-based Neuro producer who's recently put out an amazing album called Dream Recall. And this album is, is phenomenal, in my opinion. In fact, as I say in the interview, uh, it's the most impressive album I've heard since Cone Sound and Ace's uh, Sanctuary EP, which if you haven't heard, is also amazing. So I have him on the show to talk about that, to talk about the struggles involved Uh, with making an album the inspiration behind it uh, and advice for producers wanting to create their own album we also talk about producer envy uh, slash jealousy lucid dreaming and why you're not entitled to anything i highly recommend checking out frequent's album uh, before or after this episode it's called dream recall i'll leave a link in the show notes to that And you can find the full show notes for this episode at edmprod.com slash 59. That is edmprod.com forward slash 59. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast today. I'm joined by Nolan, uh, better known as Frequent. Nolan, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? I'm really, really good. Um, Super stoked to have you on the show. Now, Nolan, for those who don't know you, uh, what do you currently do and, and how did you get there? Take us all the way back to the start.
0: So I started writing music when I was pretty young, like 12 or 13, electronic music that is. Um, I like dabbled with some other instruments. I played guitar for a bit, um, but nothing that I was ever super into. Um, but I kind of rode the whole like Skrillex dubstep wave and that was my jam back then. Um, and I started picking up, I got into FL studio before anything else actually. Um, and so I just kind of dabbled with that for a little bit. Um, started making some incredibly shitty music that I remember all my friends making fun of me for, um, (laughs) which is warranted is really bad. But um, I just kind of stuck with it. I found it as just like something interesting to do creatively that I didn't really know anything about. And so it seemed like there was just kind of this infinitely gratifying thing where I could just go and like pick up a new thing and immediately apply it. So I started doing that kind of all through high school. Um, I had a number of different aliases working with various people. Um, I could go down that whole rabbit hole for a while, but Basically, um, a bunch of projects kind of went nowhere um, and I changed my name a bunch of times, but it was never anything serious. It was always just kind of like a hobby thing that I did. Um, And I started getting production lessons actually just from like a guy on Craigslist. Um, I remember I I had to be like 14, 15 at that time when I was doing that because like my mom had to drive me there. I couldn't (laughs) drive or anything. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I switched to Ableton, obviously like way early on. I don't actually remember why I made that decision. Um, but I'm really glad I did. And so I started taking these lessons and, um, just kind of like starting to meet other people. My current roommate, Kovex, uh, Brendan, he's the first friend I ever had who wrote music. Um, I met him freshman year of high school and, um, yeah, I don't know. Basically, I guess, Really, I just like <laughs> kept grinding on music all those years. There was never really an end goal or anything. Um, I met some people who were doing this project called Dino Safari, okay. which was like a pretty cool thing a few years ago. Um, it was three dudes from Colorado Springs. Um, and I was I was learning a ton of stuff from them. And um, I actually when I came up with the name Frequent, it was one of those dudes who came up with that name. Um, and I just kind of adopted it because I wanted a name to release stuff under. Um, and so I was just releasing stuff under frequent for a long time. And then I met my friend Alden, who is a Voke, And we ended up writing some music and working really well together. And so we decided to start a label as just kind of like a fun side project. And um, the first years that we were doing that, we were working with the dude who owns Adapted Records. Mm-hmm. Um And it was technically a subsidiary label of that label. And um, yeah, we weren't really doing anything huge. I remember that's when like Caliber was a huge label and I was really trying to get on there. And then like I really wanted to be on inspected. And uh, I was just like, I mean, I still am a bedroom producer, kind of. I mean, I have a studio now finally, but it it still feels like the same thing to me. But back then I just remember just like always wanting to be on like one of these really cool labels. And um, I just spent a lot of time just trying to work on my sound and like be as good as Cohen's sound basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, over time, like everything developed. Um, Alden stepped down from the label eventually, um, kind of like around senior year of high school for me. Um, and th- at that point, the frequent project was like pretty established. And I was looking at it as like a viable career option because um, I, I was starting to get show offers and just like little things started to pop up um and then freshman year of college for me i had to skip a ton of shit. there sorry I, there's just too many things over but basically fast forward to uh last year i guess two years ago at this point um freshman year of college for me um i went to cu boulder for one year and absolutely fucking hated it more than anything in the world why um because while well, I was taking, uh, there's a bunch of reasons, but I was taking a media production course there that was just like super <laughs> bad. <laughs> and, like, um, there was only a few, first of all, they just had no definition for what the major even was like the, there was a brand new program. And so they couldn't even explain to you like what the degree was that you're getting. Cause they hadn't even built out the classes yet. And, um, so there was like some film stuff, which I was kind of into, um, But I ended up just having to take a bunch of, like, weird communications classes that I didn't give a shit about. Um, And then as far as music production, there was only – there were two sound classes. One was called Sound Practices, which only four people ended up taking. It was actually one of my childhood best friends ended up taking that class. I hadn't seen him in a long time, and we ended up having a lot of fun in that class. Just – the professor was really good and just let us do, like – Discussion based stuff every day, basically. And we would just go really deep talking about music and ideas and stuff like that. Um, and then the other class that he offered was intro to electronic music. And so I had him for sound practices and he knew what I was and I was doing. Um, so I was exempt from intro to electronic music. I just got an A and never had to go, uh, but still had to pay like the $1,500 or okay. whatever for the class. And it just ended up being a fucking huge waste of my time in the end. Um, I was in the dorms and couldn't really write music there. Um, and at that time I just started picking up, um, like all the artists who are on my label now, uh, Hudson, who's the dude that I run the label with. He's like the co-manager now, um, dude from Canada. I met him. He actually hit me up for production lessons. Um, and he sent me some stuff and I ended up really liking what he was working on. Um, and we ended up like writing some music together and, uh, he showed a lot of interest in the label and was like really active in the community. Um, I had built like this subreddit called r slash that a bunch of people were on and he was like actively recruiting people and like showing me new music from people. Um, and through that, we really just started to vo- develop this, uh, really strong community, which is what the label was supposed to be the whole time, but we never really had like consistent releases from people. It was just kind of like, we'd get cool people sometimes and then we'd get like not so cool releases other times. Um, And so right around the same time when I was at CU, I was just getting, like, all these really, really insane demos from these tiny artists. Um, And I kind of realized the potential for that. And then at the same time, I realized there's no fucking way I'm going to school at CU Boulder. Um, (laughs) And so I kind of had to, like, make the choice of whether or not I was going to, like, move and try to do school somewhere else. Or I mean because the only at that point I realized the only thing I wanted to go to school for was music But also going to school for music wouldn't do anything for me like it would just take a lot of time up So I don't know I ended up leaving there, fuck that and then uh, I moved out of Boulder Which is like a super expensive area in Colorado and I moved closer like in between Denver, which is the capital and Boulder um, I live in a place called North Glen now, which nobody fucking lives in North Glen, but the housing is way cheaper. Um, so I have two roommates, and I just write music and teach and make samples and do all that all day, day in and day out, and run the label. Um, and that's where we are now. That was kind of a messy recap, but no,
1: that's that's amazing. I have I have a ton of questions though. The first is, uh, you mentioned you had a lot of different aliases. This is a this is a common thing. Uh, I did as well. Why why did you go through so many?
0: Um. Well, the first few were just because the names were fucking terrible, um, (laughs) and because I had no, like, attachment to it. I guess Uh, my first alias ever was Cacti Noir when I first started producing when I was like thirteen. And then what? Sorry, say that again. Cacti Noir it means the black cactus in French. (laughs) I don't know. It's fucking stupid. (laughs) Anyways, and then my second alias was Corelius, which I didn't like either because it just sounds weird. Um, And then I was actually part of this group. It was just me and one other dude called Cascadia. Um, but that ended up being some real shady shit, um, with these two Canadian dudes who were basically like, I, I was really close at the time, and I didn't realize that I was basically just being fucked over by these two dudes who had no real talent, and they were like stealing my sounds and giving them to other people, and like getting me to ghost produce shit that I wasn't really thinking about. And like, yeah, I'm not gonna drag names into it because, yeah, of course, of course, who still exist, but, um, yeah, basically, that was um, I, I realized I was getting fucked. And so I started frequent as I before I like backed out of that other project entirely. Frequent was just a place for me to like have my own music. Um, apart from this duo, because um, they basically made it seem like this other thing was like, a guaranteed way for me to start making money, which never. Happened. Um, and so I eventually, like, I made this other alias to just write my, like, write my own music, write music by myself, and then I kind of realized that I was doing that anyways, and so I just told all those guys to fuck off, um, and then committed to frequent, which a lot of people ask me, like, where did you come up with the name, like, what is the meaning of it, and it's kind of sad to me that there's, like, not a deep meaning behind it, because there's really not, it's just the one thing that I committed to that I didn't hate, and I still like it, I think it's I think it works
1: yeah no it does it does what was the the most challenging part of all of this like like your journey so far
0: probably getting to a point where I wasn't self-conscious about my own music like because now it's all to me it's just like about development of the whole project and about like trying new stuff and moving the label forward and all this um but I feel like the music I put out is what I want it to be. It's kind of like what I, what I've been working towards making and not to say that, like, I'll, I'll never get better than I am right now. I obviously hope that's not true, but, um, I just remember spending so much time listening to other people's music, just like baffled by it. And I I hated that feeling so much to like, not understanding what was going on. Um, so I think I, I really struggled with like, feeling good about my own stuff in comparison to other people's music. And I think everyone kind of faces that indefinitely. 100%, yeah. Um, yeah. But I at least feel like I can put out, like, the album that I put out this year and be like, okay, well, I put all the work I could into that, and I think it sounds pretty good, um, which I wouldn't say about a
1: lot of my older stuff. I think a lot of people find it hard to... Because it's important to compare... In one sense, it's important to compare yourself to other artists so that you know where to go and that you can, like... Because right. on the other end of the spectrum, you have people, um, especially neuroproducers producers, who don't compare themselves at all and their ego gets way too big and they yeah, think absolutely. that their music is, like, everything, Best. you know? Um, And so that's the other end of the spectrum. So I think you do need some of that comparison, but it's it's, like what you said it's so easy to listen to it and then listen to yours and just get discouraged
0: yeah and it still happens to me all the time like um i just got cursed to do a remix for a track off my album (laughs) and i he i sent it to him and he finished it in like literally like a day he sent the finished thing like almost finished thing back to me the next day um and i remember opening that up and i spent fucking so fucking long, trying to re or mix down the track that he sent me um and just like how much better it was mix wise was so frustrating to me for him to just instantly be able to throw this thing together that sounds like louder and fuller and less harsh, and all that um so yeah, I think it's worth comparing yourself to other people in that regard, um but I think it's also important to not just compare the technical aspect because that's something I used to do I used to just be like oh well I made that bass or like oh this aspect of the mix is like almost as good as this one artist but then you listen to the concept behind someone else's thing and uh, the actual idea they had and the execution of that and that's a whole other thing that especially in the neuro world you get so many people who are like technically qualified but the execution is just so not that interesting
1: You mean in terms of of the songwriting or like the actual idea? Yeah, like the
0: actual arrangement just isn't very good, even though all the sounds are good. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's finding that balance of like comparing your ideas and comparing your sound enough to realize like where you need to improve, but without A, being completely self-detrimental about it and B, just trying to copy exactly what other people are doing.
1: Related to this is something you call producer envy. And you wrote an article um about this concept. what is producer envy and and how because almost everybody suffers from it right what is it and and how do you deal with it? What advice would you give?
0: um I think it's just jealousy like it it's just the idea of looking at someone else's success and thinking that either they don't deserve it or that you do deserve it because your thing is better for whatever reason um and I think it comes in all sorts of flavors, like there's envy for people seeing success when you think they don't deserve it. And especially in the electronic music world, there's a lot of those people who skill wise when it comes to music are pretty unimpressive, but yet they have these very vibrant, successful careers. Um, but then there's also another kind of producer envy, which I think is a little more justified, maybe, or at least a little better in some sense, um, which is where you're just envious of what other people can do with their music. Um, and I think that that at least is a little healthier because it makes you strive to improve yourself instead of strive to like get more people to pay attention to you. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a hard thing to deal with because the, there's not just one thing to be jealous of. And everyone is kind of at a different spot. Like for people who are just starting out, I think they get really frustrated with listening to extremely complicated music, and just how vastly overwhelming it is. And that was definitely a thing for me. And so just like having the idea of being that guy on the computer who can write one of these songs, effortlessly, was this really crazy thing to me. And I had no idea like, there's just this huge wall, this huge barrier in front of me, preventing me from seeing like what's going on behind the scenes. And now that I've been writing music for seven years, and I have all these friends who I consider extremely talented, and seeing the way they work, you realize that it's not like it's just a dude with a laptop. And a lot of times the stuff that sounds the most technical is just someone fucking around who has a good ear for it. Um, but then you look at people who uh, are like blowing up around you. And there's definitely like, looking at steve aoki and being like fuck steve aoki like he doesn't even write his own music blah 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 like he doesn't deserve that success success. but then there's also um like when you see your friends start to get big that's a whole other thing because um you you don't want to see your friends fail, obviously, but it's this weird thing when you've been kind of at the same level as someone for years or longer. And then suddenly they catch this lucky break that you don't catch. Mm. Um, and it's it's just this weird dynamic where you watch them go become huge and start taking on the world and like committing to this career full on. And, um, it's, it's discouraging as a producer to see people who, you know, closely doing that without having it yourself. Um, and yeah, so there's, there's all these different aspects of it, I think. And as far as dealing with it, um, I think you just got to get over yourself a little bit and realize that there's not, um, in most cases, it's not like someone just picked up a laptop and was like, I'm a music producer and then like posted their track and then someone online was just like, oh shit and picks it up And then they get famous like in most of these cases. There's fucking huge teams of people behind all of these big guys Um, or even not big guys Like if you look at, um, mr Bill is someone i've gotten a lot closer to in these past few years because he moved really close to me from australia So we've been writing a lot of music and he's kind of been showing me um his whole infrastructure and how his whole career is set up which is really crazy to look at but even he has like a team of seven or eight people who all do various shit for him uh like he he has people employed off of just writing music um and it's easy to look at someone and just be like how did he get there and then you look under the hood a little bit and you realize like okay a lot of the people who you see who are really successful either have put in absurd amounts of work themselves, like they didn't just pop up out of nowhere, or they have this huge team of people who are really good at branding and know exactly how to make that sort of thing happen. Um, and it, it also kind of depends what realm of music you're looking at because I don't think you see a lot of like neuro or IDM producers just like blow up out of nowhere. you know what I mean?
1: One thing you wrote in the article which I loved was um no matter how many hours you put into it, no matter how skilled you are, like you're still not entitled to anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it feels like you are because it's, it's that thing of like, well, I spent way longer to write a better track. So where's my compensation for that? And it's just this weird platform that the internet has created where anyone can put stuff out And everyone feels like they needs to be getting plays and follows and likes and shares and reposts and all that stuff. Um, But you don't matter to anyone else until you make yourself, like you you prove that you do matter and you put something out there that actually deserves that hype. Or you just know the right people who can push your shit either way. Um, But either one kind of has its own value
1: externally, I think. I get a lot of complaints from people. They say my music's not getting any plays, like I've done this and this, and it sounds good. Uh, and this person or like my friend is getting all these plays and it's like, well, if you're constantly shifting the blame to something else, you're never going to take responsibility. Right. For it, and, you're, and because of that, you're never going to come up with a solution. Like I think the thing people need to do is accept the fact that, okay, I'm not getting enough plays or I'm not doing this full time um, and it's on me. Like no one asks. Right. Like it's on me. It's not about the industry, whatever. Even Absolutely. if it is kind of about the industry, and then from right, that point it's a lot you easier. You don't have a choice yeah. about that. But yeah, hundred percent. And then you can say, well, what's what? What's blocking me? And it might be the fact that you suck at networking. And then it's like, right. okay, well, I need to get better at that.
0: Yeah, and you can bitch all you want, but it's not going to do anything to change. Yeah. that fact. And I also think a lot of people, um, like really preemptively try to push their shit. Um, Interesting. like I think some of the most successful, like if you look in, in neuro acts, especially, uh, but you, you can see this in a bunch of different places, like people who come out of nowhere with a really good sound and like do really well, it's because they either produce under another alias or they kept their shit under wraps until they suddenly like started this thing. So are you familiar with stealing?
1: I don't think so. no
0: so Steelen, I, I what the fuck happened to stealing um he just kind of like showed up out of nowhere one day and with this really really good sound um and he did a remix for me i was actually one of the first people that he contacted and he did that remix for me and then he kind of like climbed up the ladder and uh i think he had some like sophie letcher remix which was on one of noises labels um and that just like kept getting all these bigger and bigger releases getting support from like and people uh and it came out of nowhere um and then i mean if you look at like the moody good project who is 16-bit um mm-hmm. just like shut down the other alias throw new branding on it and come out the doors swinging with this really like intense sound but there's so many people who don't have that and no matter i mean i shouldn't say no i to no, no, i shouldn't say no matter how good your branding is you can't do well because that's just not true but there's a lot of people who have like an okay sound and they put their logo up and they start trying to get everyone to play it and repost it and they put download gates on everything and it's like dude just chill out for like a few years and figure out what you're gonna fucking do and then go and do all that um and i think I mean even the reason that i have any success is just because for the first like five years of what i've been doing i've just been putting shit out for free on soundcloud and not really worrying too much about the brand and um that all followed up and honestly if i changed my name and did a full rebrand and like really pushed it with the album like i i was considered doing considering doing that because i did change my branding for the album um i i don't think there's any way i would have changed my name at this point but um yeah i think people just they feel entitled to something even though they don't really have either the skills whether it be networking skills or production skills um and they they just want people to hear whether or not it's worth hearing just because it's something they made and i get that because i fucking did that same shit
1: oh yeah we (laughs) Um, all did we all did
0: yeah absolutely and so it's not to like shame anyone for doing it but i think if people just took a step back from the whole social media thing and, uh, just really focused on the sound. And then, I mean, cause there are some people who are really good and just never get any traction. And for those people, it's like, yeah, it fucking sucks. I don't really know what to tell you. Um, there's probably some things you should be doing better, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting.
1: Do you think there's a lack of patience in, in the scene as a whole in the, in the music production scene? Because, what you just talked about, I think, is crucial. Uh, I'll see like producers who have been making music for six months ask questions about how they can um, or whether they should be using like Twitter, Snapchat, right. and Instagram, and it's like, dude, the yeah, hours that even, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the hours that you spend on on all that, like trying to optimize your social media profiles, could be spent making music. And if you spend it making music, you're going to have way more leverage when it comes to marketing.
0: Absolutely, and I think people kind of yeah, there is this sense of impatience like people come in like all right I'm ready to make this my career Which blows my mind because I was fucking scared to even consider doing that for like the whole time I've been doing it Um, so it's really crazy to me to see all these people who are so gung-ho, but um, Yeah, I think there's impatience not even just from producers, but kind of from everyone like I think songs have shorter shelf life. I think that people skip to the drop. I think that singles are doing way better than anything else being released right now because people don't want to sit through a body of content. Um, and yeah, I think there's this rush to just get in there and get your big track out. That's going to get all the reposts and do really well or get on the next big Spotify playlist or whatever it is. Um, but it kind of skips over the most crucial part, which is like, all right, well, first you should probably like get good at doing thing before you even worry about any of that. Um, but then there's also this side that's like, well, you don't, especially now you don't actually have to be good. So maybe, I don't know. I, I would never encourage people to just like try to get plays for the sake of getting plays to me. If you're making music, it should be about fucking writing the music. Um, but there's so many people who realize that the bar is low enough that you can write a good enough track with a somatics project and probably either a make some money or b get some good plays but like what is that really what it is is that you're just fishing for statistics or like are you there to like make a piece of art and i don't think that there's a lot of people who really give a shit about the artistic side as much as the, like, I'm a cool producer guy side. Do
1: you think that's something, because I find that really sad, like, and I agree with you. Do you think that's something that's shifted over the past, say, 20, 30 years?
0: Fuck, man. I haven't been around that long. Neither have I. Um, Uh, yeah, I would I would definitely say there's something that's shifted there because I mean the whole way that music is written and The way it's consumed has completely changed in that time Um, like the whole process start to finish has been I mean a it's way faster um B it's way easier (laughs) to write music to get music than ever before um and but at the same time with all that now everyone I mean who doesn't listen to music who doesn't have a Spotify or SoundCloud account so I don't know I think it's uh it's kind of a necessary evil that everything's so saturated right now and I don't think that's going away anytime soon um but yeah there's there's definitely been a huge shift in the way that everything's done and I think that that will continue to happen especially since all these streaming platforms are kind of like taking hold as the main thing uh which is
1: interesting but
0: yeah i don't know we'll see where it goes i guess
1: you mentioned you know there's a lot of people who uh who download like if studio they're <laughs> trialing they're like oh, i'm gonna do this as a career like this is what i'm gonna do right um, you mentioned that you were scared like like it terrified you the idea of doing it as a career for a long time why is that
0: uh I guess I've really grown up around the stigma of like you go to college you get a real job you do the real thing um so that was a big part of it but also just the fact that until recently like I didn't have shit going for me really I had like a few thousand SoundCloud followers and that was it um and I never really I mean, I had, like, a few buddies who were producer buddies who were into my music, but as far as where I was in, in, like, high school, being in Boulder, Colorado, like, there's nobody who fucking listens to this music there. Um, So I guess I just had this, like, intrinsic self-doubt that it would ever be a serious thing. Um, But, I mean, the further I got into it and the more hours I poured into it, the more I started to realize, like, what... (laughs) There's nothing else that I take this seriously, you know, it'd be really strange of me to just like throw this away and go do something else because I don't even have an idea of what that other thing would be. Right. No. Um, Yeah, exactly. And then also, I just never was really forced to think about it until I graduated high school. Um, Like it was kind of like I I was going to be in high school and I was going to be writing music. So that was it just was the thing. Um, But I, I never really. I don't know. I never thought I'd drop out of college for sure. Um, and so that alone made me think like, alright I'm going to do maybe I'll get a job in like sound design or something. And that was the route I was considering going like doing movie sound design, um, which is awesome. I'm still super down for that. But I know compared to writing music, I'd get so bored.
1: Now I want to talk about your album, uh, Dream Recall. Yeah, it is the most phenomenal album I've heard since, like, Cone Sound and Ace's Sanctuary EP, which... (sighs) Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm I'm being honest. Like, I'm not just saying it because you're on the podcast. Um, Right. And I listened to it. I've listened to it about twice now, start to finish. Amazing. I want you to run through the process uh, for for making the album, and you have written an article (laughs) about this, which I'll link, Um, and also some things you've learned uh, or, or some things you did learn through making it
0: jesus christ okay yeah so <laughs> you, yeah um if you've read the post then you already know that making the album was an absolute nightmare um i had no plan no concepts or anything when i started it um it really just started as like i decided hey i should do like something longer than an ep And i think it really started with um like I would hit a bunch of my milestones and I didn't really know what else I wanted to do. Like I would released on caliber's sister label, which is ammunition. Um, and then that all shut down. Um, and I was kind of looking at inspected cause they almost took the EP I released before dream recall, which is fluidity. I don't, maybe that's backwards fluidity and the ammo EP. I don't remember. Um, but I had reached this point where I was like, all right, I've done some EPs. Um, like I've released on my label and on a few other labels. Um, And I just want to do something that's more like has real content. I don't know, because pretty much all the stuff I was making, save for a few tracks, was just like, listen to how sick this drop is. Mm. And it didn't have a lot of like actual substance. And I remember one of the things I I really was looking at um, feedback wise on comments from also this is something I've learned Your SoundCloud comments are way different from your YouTube comments on other channels. (laughs) So, um, I just remember going through and like in general, like good feedback from most people. But the one thing that people would always call me out on is just, there's no music in between the drops. It was just like
1: some filler shit. I think think Mr. Bill called you out on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. uh, I mean, it
0: was true. Um, and I would hope it's not true in my newer stuff. Um, (laughs) Compared to Bill, I guess, like, Bill just has, like, an actual really good compositional mindset. And um, for the Dream Recall album, I just wanted to do some, like, really abstract shit in that realm. Um, So I did a lot of, like, sound design-y things in the non-drop sections. Um, But what were you just talking about? I'm sorry, we just got sidetracked.
1: The process you use for making the album or lack uh, of that, it. Uh, Alright, cool. So yeah. Um, no process,
0: no idea, no concept, nothing. I just want to do something bigger, basically, is the whole point. Um, and so I was just writing tracks into a void and um some of them I was like, Yeah, maybe this will be an album track and I would like mark it. Um and eventually I just had like four or five tracks that I put in like a playlist on SoundCloud that was like, all right, this is me starting the album. Um, still no plan, no ideas really for it. No, uh, the whole dreaming concepts wasn't, um, a thing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then effectively <laughs> I ended up scrapping half of those tracks, even of Ooh. the few I had made, but eventually I kind of decided I need to commit on an idea. Um, and this was back when I was working one of the first songs from the album that was actually worked on was lucid with, uh, Yana Mitt. And so, um, I was really thinking about this idea of like lucid dreaming and kind of like an album where you, you come in and out of consciousness as you listen. Mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting concept. Um, and so I had that track with Yanimit that I started before I went to college. And then when I was at CU Boulder, one of the only worthwhile things I did that entire fucking year there was for uh, that sound practices program I was talking about. We had this project that was, uh, again, it was cool. This professor was an awesome dude. His name was Hunter Ewan. And um, he basically was like, yeah, for this project, you just have to make like some sort of Foley arrangement. And they gave us Zoom H6 mics with like shotguns and Muppet Fuzz and the whole, like decked us out with field mics. And they're just like, yeah, you can rent these out for a week at a time, go get whatever you need and you can compose whatever you want with it. Um, And so that was the only uh, freedom I really got creatively um, from any class at that school was through that one program. And so Descent, which is the second track is actually just the composition I did um, for that class extended. Oh. So, those are all like field recordings from 100% of it actually is made out of field recordings from around my school, which was cool. Um, and so I, I had that and um, I kind of decided. And then I also, the the only song I wrote during that whole year um, was Broken, the like hip hop guitar track. And that was just something I wrote for fun um, while I was in school. And I, I wasn't originally going to include it, um, but I, I did later, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But um, basically, all these songs uh, that, that I actually enjoyed were starting to show up. Alpha State, I had been working on. That one was just some random—I wanted to try to compose something out of like the least musical elements I could— um, and this was right around the time that I found Granulator, which is a really awesome max for live plugin. Um, and so I was just basically making all these tiny little pieces of like glitches, just like glitching around little tiny pieces of audio and doing insane amounts of layering just so excessive as kind of an experiment to see if I could make something that sounded musical out of these completely non-musical things. And so... That I ended up developing and um I can't really remember very clearly when I decided to like settle on the lucid dreaming concept But I had all this like really weird stuff going in the album already and so um, I just started writing um Like I guess it would be poetry which I think has kind of a bad rep, but Um, I just started writing like the spoken word out that you hear in the album, um, just as like to get ideas for it. Um, and I started doing research into lucid dreaming and like different states of being awake. Did
1: you, did you attempt to lucid dream?
0: Yeah. It used to be something I was really into, um, in high school. I had some weird experiences with it. Um, because I used, to, I used to have like a real, real insomnia, like real difficulty mm. sleeping. And um, I'd wake up on like maybe two hours of sleep and then immediately drink four shots of espresso oh. <laughs> to make it through my day and then go home and just like crash for an hour and then be up for like the rest of the night. Wow. Um, and so that was really fucking me up. And so I started getting into lucid dreaming as kind of an incentive to go to sleep. Um, and what it came down to, like, I just had a lot of like weird anxiety at the time that I never really dealt with. And I didn't even realize I had until I looked at it, like looking back on it now, it was like, dude, you fucking, <laughs> you weren't sleeping. You were just like f- zombieing through life. I don't understand why I never really came to grips with it. But I remember distinctly, like I- I'd figure out all these crazy lucid dreaming concepts and I'd try them. Um, like there's things where you can you can look at a clock and if you look at a clock in a dream, it'll be like like your your mind can't generate actual numbers on a clock. Or if it can, then if you look back again, it won't be the same the second time. Or um the thing the thing from the album, so when I started putting you are awake everywhere, what I used to do is I'd write um you are awake on in Sharpie on the palm of my hand. Um and then if I'd look at my hand in my dream and I Didn't see it. I would still think about it or if it if I did have it in my dream either way I'd think like oh you're awake and I'd be like, all right, cool I'm doing the thing um, but eventually it started to get to the point where like the anxieties I was having during the day Which I wasn't addressing when I'd like have a lucid dream and be awake within my own dream I those same anxieties would come back and I would just wake up and so it became kind of this trap where um, I started to get good at it, but the better I became at it, the the less I could sleep. Cause it would just wake me up if I like, it would actually wake me up if I successfully did it. Um, and so it, it just became this thing where it was making my sleep habits like way worse. Um, and and they so, already were. Oh yeah. Um, like to the point where it wasn't even sustainable. So, um, I basically, just stop doing it altogether. I haven't done it in a lot of time. Yeah. Um, but then, the fuck is that? Sorry, a, little, a creature just crawled into my window. Well, it's um, all good, man. You can deal with it if you want. No, it's all good. He got out. It was just, <laughs> just a squirrel came in. So <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had all those really weird experiences with lucid dreaming, um, and then towards my, I don't know if I should talk about this on the podcast, but I'm just gonna do it. Um, towards my second year of high school, third year of high school, somewhere in there, uh, my friend started getting me into acid, which uh, I kind of used as a different way to have those same experiences, and that chilled me the fuck out. Like I started like really getting my shit together around that time, and um, I was able to like sleep better. Um and just had like a way better outlook on everything overall. But I was just so fascinated by this really bizarre world you could enter just by like eating a piece of paper. Um, And so I probably spent way too much time doing that. Those years Uh, we went a little bit overboard with it. I had um, one of the first people I ever taught in person Whose names i'm i'm not gonna mention on this podcast but um this dude hit me up on email just out of nowhere i i never put ads up or anything until this year this is the first year i ever advertised teaching um but this dude hit me up and he was like yeah i just moved to boulder like i heard you do these lessons i really like your music blah 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 and so i go and do like one session with him he's a really cool guy um and then he just like paid me the check which was weird and then Um, went back the next time and, uh, he was like, look, so I don't know. I don't know where you're at with this, but I can totally keep giving you money if you want. Or I could just start paying you with this. And he just started giving me like 10 strips of acid for like two hours of teaching. Um, and so that was, um, I think it was actually really important for me because it, it definitely, like changed me as a human being and made me start thinking about all this really fucking weird shit. And it also, um, with doing way too much acid, I kind of realized the power of it. And I kind of realized, um, all these parallels between that and lucid dreaming, like how you have this weird sense of control, but with the lingering idea that like, it could be out of your control at any point. Um, and I've definitely had some really bad experiences, tripping acid, Um, same with lucid dreaming, which I guess isn't, since it's a dream, it's not as bad and you just wake up and it's done. Um, But I kind of noticed these parallels of like how things can start to uh, get really real, really fast um, or they can be these really like blissful, insightful experiences. And so I kind of I kind of wanted to use lucid dreaming as like a front to talk about psychedelic drugs, Um, which is something I hate to even put that idea in people's minds because it's not necessarily for that. But um, that's definitely like what the inspiration of the entire thing was. And so I started doing a lot of research into lucid dreaming and like the terminology and um, kind of thinking about how that tied into my own experiences uh, with taking acid. And um, so, for instance, one of the tracks is called uh, DEILD, D E I L D, which stands for Dream Exit Initiated Lucid Dream, um, which I didn't just make that up. It's a real thing. It's basically where it's a technique where um, there's there's an app which can track like when you're in your REM cycle when you're sleeping and um, basically you can time it so that you have an alarm go off right at this critical moment where like you'll be able to wake up but immediately fall back asleep without like without skipping a beat. You can just wake up, kill the alarm, go back to sleep and then people usually like repeat some sort of mantra like you are awake or like people have all sorts of things um and so um I wanted to use uh that moment as kind of like a pivot where you kind of lose control um and I wanted to because I wanted a lot of not super terrifying neuro in it at first. Um, and I wanted to do some different stuff, which is why I was bringing a lot of the guitar instrumentation and stuff like that. Um, and I really did want it to, uh, kind of have a movement to it. And so the first tracks, um, kind of reminded me of especially sleep spindles, which is the track right before dealed. Um, just kind of like a mental oasis of sorts where i I just kind of wanted to create these spaces that were like something that i felt really comfortable in and all the tracks before that point i think they have like their trippy moments but for me they feel very like safe um and then after that uh the deal um that song starts with like an alarm clock and then Going back under into sleep and I wanted that to be kind of like a nightmare from that part out or like a bad trip And so from there, um, I really focused on like really intense sound design and like Just really off-putting sounds um and I think Really just stuff that's fascinating to listen to but also is like Almost challenging to listen to in some parts. Yeah
1: yeah. That's, I, I kind of felt like that when i got into it. Yeah.
0: There. Especially, um, the track memory down with Clockwise. Mm. There's a lot of like, we did it at a hundred BPM halftime. So it's just so slow that there's not really any way to keep like a beat to it. It's just mm. kind of like this pulsing, like really unsettling sort of sound. Um, I really like that. I really like the sound of it. And I've, I've always had, um, this side of me that's really into like really dark fucked up shit. Um, and even, even, um, taking psychedelics, um, although I've had like genuinely bad experiences with them, I've also had a lot of like moments either, either like watching weird movies. Have you ever seen the movie Requiem for a dream?
1: i haven't seen it but i've heard things about it
0: yeah i yeah i, I have not seen it either and it's like oh my god it is so intense yeah i've, I've, I've I heard
1: people say like they've stopped drinking wine just because of watching it. yeah like, it's
0: <laughs> so fucked up man it is one of the most fucked up movies i've ever seen and i watched it tripping for the first time um I just had like this whole night with one of my friends where we watched, uh, where we watch we watched Donnie Darko, which is now one of my favorite movies of all time. Super inspired by that movie and the vibes in that. It definitely has a lot of this like weird contrast of super evil shit while still being like friendly. Um, and then Requiem for a dream, which is just like dark as fuck. And then what do we watch the butterfly effect, which was shit. But, um, But yeah, anyways, just just trying to um, do something that had, like, something rooted in my actual experience, and I never expected to, like, come on an interview and explain where all of that came from, Um, because I really didn't want it to be, like, this is an album about taking drugs, because I don't think that's what it is. Um, It's an album that's meant to be an experience, and... The experience is really influenced by my experiences with lucid dreaming and taking psychedelics, and um, just kind of being in a weird headspace, just suspending disbelief, and um, just willing to go into a, a weird space that you haven't been before, without uh, without necessarily knowing if it's gonna all be okay or not.
1: What advice then would you give for Someone listening to this who's thinking of creating an album. Right, that's where we started. Um <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the process of writing it. Just make a plan. That's really all it comes down to. I could have done it in half the time if I was like, I I have an idea that I want to do and I want to execute it. Um, but that was never the case. Like it was just this slowly over time, I was like, Oh, well, this kind of sounds like This one idea I have and uh, I started writing and piecing all this together and using uh, like these dreaming concepts and uh, even just giving the tracks names started to give me direction. But if I had known up front, like, okay, I have a message to give, which I think, honestly, if you're writing an album, you should have that. And I didn't at first at all. But since it took me so long by year two, I definitely like knew what I was doing and knew what I wanted it to sound like. But I it was too little too late. I'd already sunk hundreds of hours into just nothing. Um, so I would say my best advice is to just write everything down. You can um, think about what you want the flow to be like. Think about um, potential song names. How many songs do you want it to be? Um, what lyrics are you going to use, if any? What types of sounds are you going to use, with it, if any? Um and then the also the thing I outlined in that article the most important thing I think is to be working on everything at the same time, um, yeah yeah, because as soon as something slips through the cracks and you're just like all right, that track's like sounding pretty good I'm just gonna deal with it um in like a week or two and then. Seven months later, you're like, oh, shit, I forgot about that one track. And you open it up and you're like, fuck, I just learned seven months of new shit. Now I have to go back and like redo this whole song, basically. And that's where all the time really went in was just being like, oh, shit. All right, well, let's do this again, but better. Um, and I think if you if you have like a very intentional view of what you're doing and like a real direction, if you if you take the time to map it out beforehand, um, it'll just be way fucking easier way 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 easier and also um even like the the more you're willing to like schedule and plan things out beforehand the less time it will take so if you're willing to be like all right I'm gonna plan this out so I have 14 songs I'm gonna put in the album so for these two weeks I'm gonna work on these seven songs only and I'm gonna work on them this many hours a day and you allocate like this track for this day, this track for this day, this track for this day. All right. Switching gears. I'm going to go work on the second half of the album. All right. These two weeks, it's just these seven tracks, this track, this day, this track, this day. If you're willing to do that, it'll absolutely speed everything up because it's not even just about the individual tracks. It's about how the tracks fit together. And so even when I was just going back to fix things within the individual tracks, then I had to go back and, like force them into an album together because none of them originally were supposed to be that. And so I think uh, just planning, that's it. That's all I can really say. People
1: people can, object to planning because they say that it limits creativity, which I, which I completely disagree with actually.
0: It, it depends on how you look at it. Like it, it limits um, your freedom, I guess, of what you can be creative on, but I don't think it limits your creativity. Like, If you're going to go into the studio and work at least two, three hours a day anyways, which you should be doing if you're writing a fucking album, like, who cares what you're working on? Maybe if you're really inspired to work on something else, then work on something else that day. Like, you don't necessarily have to follow it, like, to the T. You can definitely have your own um, liberties there. But yeah, I don't don't think that planning restricts you creatively overall. I think that planning expedites creativity because you don't get... Fucking stuck trying to remix things down and like force things into place. Um, cause like I'd say over half of the work on the album was not creative work at all, it was just like technical work trying to make things work.
1: <laughs> Does that get mundane? Oh, dude,
0: I, I, there were several points where I was ready to drop the whole project wow. altogether, like just walk away from it really? and say, Fuck it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because it's not even just that the music was taking a long time. It's that it was putting my entire career on hold, basically like there, there's nothing else coming out in that time period. Um, I had no time to work on anything else cause I thought that working on anything else was a waste and that I should only be allocating my resources towards the album. And, uh, there are a bunch of points where I was like, is this even like, is this going to be good enough in the end that it's worth the amount of time that I'm putting into this? And, um, I don't, there's obviously no way to know that until you have the final thing, um, but at the end of the day, once you, no matter how many people listen to it, no matter what happens to it, like just having that final little folder on your screen of like condensed into 45 minutes of audio is all these fucking hours of work. I don't know. It's it's worth it in a way that just like doesn't ma- matter beyond like. Like the hours that go in don't matter anymore. How would, you, how would you
1: describe it? Like the feeling when you finish, when it was was done, like the final export or whatever. How did you feel?
0: I expected it to be well. First of all, <laughs> final export was always tentative for me because I'd be like, "All right, here's the final of this one," and then I'd sit on it for a week and I'd listen to it on like a different system and I'm like, "God damn it, I can hear a click there." <laughs> and <it come> back. <laughs> And re-render it again. But yeah, there was a there was a point where I was just like I refuse to let myself work on this anymore. Um, and the last track I was working on is the last track in the album. Um and it was basically down to just finishing that. And as soon as I finished that, and like I don't know, I expected this really euphoric, like, oh my god, there it is. But I had just seen it, I had seen it like almost come together in that final folder so many times. And when I finally did, it was just like, thank fucking God, like, <laughs> like relief. Thank God. Let's just move on. Let's just not write an album anymore. <laughs> um, and then putting it out obviously is a whole different thing because I forget. I'm so used to it. I've heard it countless times, thousands and thousands and thousands of times. I've heard that whole album, <laughs> and to put it out, I really envy people who, um get the chance to just listen to it front to back as a totally new experience. Um, cause I'll never get to do that. But, um, the response to it was overwhelmingly good. And I think people really were able to hear the time that I put into it, which was the whole point of doing it in the first place. Um, so yeah, I mean, the final render felt decent, but it was really just like, once it was all out, I just no longer had to even think about it anymore. And that was really the best feeling, which is kind of weird, but
1: <laughs> no, it makes sense. Um, Actually, I'm not even going to ask that question about how long you think it took in terms of hours.
0: Oh, thousands, uh, thousands. hundreds, hundreds 2000. I don't know. I say thousands. And it's one of those things that's like, I really don't have any concept of what a thousand hours really is. Um, But thinking back on it, like, each of those projects has to be over a hundred hours has wow. to be um, easily because maybe not broken broken came together really fast descent came together, maybe like 50 hours on the scent, maybe like 30 hours on broken. Maybe, maybe not even 30 hours on broken. Broken was, it's just a simple track. There's not that much to it, but tracks like alpha state or, uh, even moth chamber was the worst one because I lost half the project. That's the other thing oh, That's man. my other piece of advice back up your fucking computer Because I lost everything and I had to work from old renders, which um, You don't yeah, feel like
1: giving well, up in that moment
0: uh, n- That was definitely one of the moments where I considered <laughs> yeah. giving up on it um, Just because there was I I tried so hard to get all the data back um But I was so close, like I could open the project. I got the project back, but just like all the important shit was missing. And that was true for a bunch of the tracks. So um, Broken, the reason Broken is just just is the way it is, is because um, I rendered it and then my computer broke. And that was just the render that was there. And I like cleaned it up a little bit in post, but like... I there was I couldn't get to the project like that just was the song and for moth chamber that was also the case But I had only written half the song um And so I ended up just like throwing the wave into ableton and then producing it around or producing around it, but um, like in that track Fuck that song, dude. I um Like I decided I wanted to change the kick and snare So just from like the solid chunk like the whole wave the whole file in there I was just cutting out each individual kick and snare with tiny fades and then inserting a new kick and snare oh, into every single hit. And it was, it was just shit like that, man. Like that was what really made me just not want to do it anymore. It wasn't like I didn't feel like it was good enough or I wasn't inspired. It was just like all these problems that I ended up making for myself that I had to go undo, <laughs> um, that was really the worst of it. And then, yeah, I mean, so back to your question. Yeah, probably, probably definitely hundreds of hours, maybe like around a thousand hours, a lot of fucking hours. That is Too insane. much time.
1: Yeah. One thing that amazes me, and I, I think this is <clears throat> um, descriptive of like Neuro IDM as a whole, but at least their album is incredibly complex. Uh, my question is, how do you avoid overproducing? a song if that makes sense
0: is it not overproduced though i don't know i feel like okay yeah i i see what you're saying but i also think that there are moments of the album especially in the last track that um are extremely overproduced like that's kind of the point of the sound um
1: well i suppose i I suppose a, a a way to rephrase the question would be how do you know when enough is enough
0: when to stop fucking with it yeah that's a good question um it's also one that I can't answer um so in pretty much all of all of my music that I write um like I can't really put a finger to what exactly like it depends so much but um like I'll play a part of a song and there'll just be a point where like nothing bothers me about it anymore um and sometimes I'll I'll be like okay and then i'll sit on it and then i'll listen to it again and i'll realize it doesn't bother me but it's not interesting enough um and then i'll go and add some more stuff but usually what will happen um when i'm doing like these ridiculously complicated arrangements or um just parts with just like so many cuts and edits just for the sake of it having that sound um I'll listen through it and I'll immediately just be like, all right, that transient clicked out of the mix. That thing's slightly off time. That thing sounds out of key. Um, That part could be better. That part could be better. And I just go and fix that. And then it's just kind of a game of doing that over and over again. And I think um, that point where it's done is definitely different for everyone. Um, So like working with other people, I think is another really interesting thing. So sometimes I'll, I'll, like, send something back to someone that they're like, it sounds great, like, don't change anything. And then I'll send them back the next thing where I just changed everything, anyways, and like produce it out way more. And then sometimes that sounds way better to them. And sometimes they're like, we should go back. Um, and I think it just depends on your own personal taste. Like, if I was producing Big Room House, I'd just fucking put nothing in it and call it done, um, and be happy with that. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's an impossible question. Unfortunately, I don't really know how I know I just it's just it sounds good to me And there's no parts yeah. that bother me or there's a deadline one of the two um Like the remix that I did with vorso for that culprit track I, I hear shit all over that tune that I would change if I had more time with it but I could sit with any of the tracks I've made for way too long, look like at it with the album and fix every little thing. And then to the person who listens to it, there's no way they would have noticed any of the changes I made. Um, so I don't know.
1: That's interesting though. You work until there's nothing that bothers you or that's not interesting enough. You'll add more. I kind of like that as a simple system.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. it's just like, is the track good enough to me? And I think a lot of that just comes from like, well, I've written like a lot of fucking songs now. And uh, compared to those songs, this song sucks or whatever. You know what I mean?
1: What are some of the the biggest mistakes you see producers making?
0: I have to say I hate when people like push their shit on me. Um, And that might just be because like a lot of people send me shit. Um, but I really hate people who like plug their stuff to me, like within a minute of meeting them. Like that's the oh, only man. point of talking to me is just to show me their shit. Um, that bothers me. I mean, it doesn't piss me off that much, but it's just like, I, there's no way I can allocate time to everyone who wants me to just like listen to something. Mm. Um, not to be a dick. I mean, I get it. I Nods, I do that yeah. and I did that too, but, uh, that just, uh, I think that's something people should consider. Like if you're a small producer and you're talking to someone, um, who is like either bigger than you or in a position where they have more connections than you. Um, I think primarily you should be trying to build like a real relationship with them. Um, and then bring the music up organically. And then also you better have some fucking good music if that's what you're doing.
1: And oh, it's it's a massive turnoff cause I get it as well. Like a lot of people asking for feedback and the thing is, like, feedback. Like, I don't know if you'll agree with this, but to actually give good feedback, unless it's on something specific, like, what do you think about the kick drum and the chorus? Unless it's on something specific like that, it takes a lot of time to give good feedback. You need to listen more than once.
0: Exactly. And it's like, okay, yeah, I can tell you, like, your snare is too loud or whatever. But if you want, like, actual conceptual feedback about what I think about your ideas and the overall arrangement, like, Nine times out of ten, the only people I'm willing to give that feedback to are people who I think will use it to write a better song, you know. Like, I'm not going to just hand out 30 minutes of my time writing up, like, fucking paragraphs about Mm -hmm. what I think improved to just some random dude who I've talked to twice on Facebook. Um, But, yeah, I agree. I think feedback is – people really want it. And I, I think it's almost overrated in some ways. I think it's definitely really useful for some shit. Um, and especially depending on who you're asking. But I've had a lot of times where I've asked for feedback and it just kind of made me feel like worse about the track. Uh, yeah, and I almost just wish I just like kept writing it and finished it. Or I'll, I'll ask for feedback and they'll give me feedback and I'll be like, uh, I sh- it wasn't time to send it. Like I'm going to change all that anyways. Or this is something. All right, here's something that pisses me off. I We found something when people ask for feedback and then you give them feedback and they're like, Oh no, I was doing all of that intentionally.
1: Oh man, that's the it's worst. Or like, well, they say, Oh, it's not, it's not mastered yet or it's not mixed. Like, why yeah, did you not send mixed it there, then?
0: and it, Or it's like, Oh, I wanted it to sound over distorted to like represent yeah, this. No you, no it's you didn't. like, well, <laughs> fuck off then. Like <laughs> you clearly don't care about what I'm trying right, anyways. But, um, yeah, top producer mistakes as a child. I feel like it like a generic interview question. The, feed, the feedback thing, stuff? I
1: just... Because, man, I'll be honest. Like, there were times where I asked for feedback, but I didn't actually want feedback. Like, I didn't care. All I wanted is for that person who was like a way better producer to say, to this, is it sick, it like, like this, this is sick, man. This is awesome.
0: Type. Yeah, and then when you don't get that, it's like, fuck.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a weird, like, it's a window into like plugging your own shit, I think. Um, But it's also kind of dangerous if you're not ready to be like, if they come back they're like, I think this element of it fucking sucks. And you're like, Oh, I thought you were just going to be like, it's perfect. And I love
1: it. Nolan, I've got two more questions for you. First, do you encounter writer's block or creative block? And if so, how do you overcome it?
0: Yeah, I think it's something everyone experiences, but I don't know that it's like a real thing.
1: Um, Mr. Bill see the same thing and I I agree wholeheartedly yeah
0: it's mostly just like I don't think it's creative block It's just like you don't want to be writing Um, Because if you have an idea And you're inspired it's fucking easy to write It's when you're just writing because you feel like you should be that you run into that like I don't even know what to do with this and usually um, if I hit that I'll either just Not work with arrangement and go make some sounds or something Um, or just usually what I find even more interesting than that is just trying to make the most fucking whack broken piece of music you can, um, just try to like, cause people get really caught up in the final result. This is something I, if we're talking about Bill, this is something I've learned a lot from working with him, even though working with him can be really frustrating sometimes. Um, but he'll, we'll spend like hours on an idea and he'll just be like, Fuck this. And he'll just like delete it and replace it with something else and just doesn't give a shit. Cause he's sunk so many hours into so many different ideas that like none of them are that valuable unless it's like something really, really strong. Um, and I think working like that, even though, um, it seems kind of like counterproductive in some ways, cause it just like throws away the time you spent doing certain things, but it's also really important because it forces you to work not towards like, not like everything you do has to stay. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't it doesn't make it feel like every action you do is permanent. And once you step outside of that mindset and are willing to just do whatever you want, um, I think it it allows you to get over the block of like not having an idea because some weird shit will happen that you wouldn't have done otherwise. And that that can be um, kind of a, a direction to go with your idea. But, um, yeah, I don't I think it's mostly it's an excuse for laziness, which not saying that I I do the same thing. And I also don't write music a lot of times because I'm just like, nah, don't feel like it. Not feeling inspired. I'll wait for that inspiration to hit me. Um, but I think that's a dangerous thing. I think if you're serious about getting in there and putting in the hours, you'll just do it. But yeah, I mean whether or not those hours are like towards this one thing you've been working on for months trying to get this perfect arrangement or if it's just like I'm gonna go try to write a halftime side trans track with (laughs) nothing but cowbells just like even shit like that is so useful though for like just as a creative exercise I find myself just like putting up arbitrary limitations um like I'll, I'll make a certain set of sounds and just be like, all right, try to make a whole song out of just these sounds and see what happens. Like I'm allowed to use any effects on them, but only these as source sounds. Or um, just try to make a type of music that I have no real interest in, because um, people get really like locked into their vein of music and just do that one thing. Um, so for me, I've made countless narrow tracks. So when I sit down and try to make like a techno song it's just such a different skill set that um it's challenging and i think i think like giving yourself something to work against is a really good way to get over writer's block also
1: yeah 100% and i i think um you kind of talked about removing that pressure like if you feel uninspired just go in and just like muck around for me at least Some of my, my best work or like my best ideas have come out of those kind of sessions where I've just been like, you know what? I'm I'm not, I don't care if this is released or not. I'm just going to like play around and see what comes out.
0: Yeah. And that's really, um, I mean, even the way I design sounds that I used to be so about like meticulously programming each automation point and like getting the sound so perfect. And now I'll just like, there's something in a sampler or granulator and just turn knobs and record it for 10 minutes <laughs> and just like try to break the plugin and see what happens. Um, I think it's just a way more inspiring way of working because the less you're attached to an idea, the more you're willing to deviate. And if you have, if you're like stuck on an on an idea and you can't build off of it, I think the best way to go is just like divert and try a completely different thing or, uh,
1: just do something else entirely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, final question. What, how old are you roughly? You don't have to give me a specific age, but 20. You're, tw- you're 20. Wow, yeah. I thought you were older for some reason. That's insane. A lot of people say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's your voice. It's very deep. Do I sound more than 20? That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh damn okay what advice would you give to your younger self
0: my younger self normally
1: i say like 20 year old self or like 18 year old self but it's not like 20 it's old young old enough old. man like yeah <laughs> uh
0: my younger self what advice would i give that's an interesting question um like, like let's say
1: 16 or something like that
0: 16 um i'm trying to think of where i was at 16 um just to learn music theory <laughs> just to actually learn it. I don't know music theory at all. Um, and I, I was doing, um, lessons where this dude, I was like originally taking piano lessons and then I showed this guy, like all the music I write. And so he was basically like teaching me using a piano and using Ableton, just to, like try to get the concepts across to me. And that was extremely helpful. Um, But I never, well, first I just moved, so that's why I couldn't keep doing that. But I never really committed to learning music theory. And if I was doing that shit when I was 16 and I had nothing better to do, um, I'd be way better now. And of course, now I have no excuse not to do it either. And I'll tell myself five years from now that I should have done it now. But um, yeah, that's probably my go-to.
1: I like it. Well, hey, thanks heaps for coming on the show. Had a fantastic conversation. If people want to learn more about you, where can uh, they find you online?
0: Yeah, totally. So um, just SoundCloud.com slash Frequent Audio or, I mean, that's just my handle on everything. So Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Instagram, all Frequent Audio, all one word. Then my website is Frequent-Audio.com. My label is Upscale Recordings. Same shit, just uh soundcloud facebook twitter all at upscale recordings or i think twitter's upscale hq actually um and yeah, that's where you'll find me and thanks for having me by the way
1: of course, man